Praise the Lord. Bittersweet day, amen? amen? But I tell you, Pastor Will, I have, uh, in the nine years I've, I've been your friend, I've learned so much from you. It's amazing uh, to me how a young man can have so much wisdom in his heart, amen? amen. Well, I say young man, he's young to me. <laughs> Maybe for some of you he's not young. But uh, it's good to have mentors. It's good to have people you can look up to. Amen? It's good to have people, you know, role models. And um, I've been reading for the second time, uh, In Light of Eternity, The Life of Leonard Ravenhill. Um, Leonard Ravenhill was David Wilkerson's mentor. Uh, He influenced David Wilkerson for good definitely more than any other person on this earth. And... uh, there's a, there's a quote in the back of this book. It says, um, from David Wilkerson, Leonard Ravenhill was one of the few men I've ever known who was a true prophet. And um, in this book, it's interesting, chapter 11 is titled, New York City and Teen Challenge. Leonard Ravenhill was the campus pastor at Brooklyn Teen Challenge uh, for a number of years. It was one of the chapters in his life. He went on to be raised up by the Lord as a prophet uh, in our country. And uh, I wrote something on the opening page. Dear Pastor Will and Mary, The Holy Spirit's fire I saw in Leonard Ravenhill, I see in your hearts. Keep shining brightly for Jesus. Love, Charles Simpson. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit in this room. We ask, Spirit of the living God, that your fire burn in all of our hearts. We ask, God, that you would speak to us today. We ask you would minister to us. We thank you and praise you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name. Proverbs 14, 26, and 27 in the New Living Translation says, those who fear the Lord are secure. He will be a refuge for their children. Verse 27, fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares of death. And the the title of this message, I don't always have titles, but I got one today. Security is in the fear of the Lord. I usually get one or two confirmations during the week that I'm on track and preaching what God puts upon my heart. uh, Confirmations through 
people sharing scriptures with me that I'm about to share. Um, this week I've received 10 to 12 confirmations. <laughs> I know this word is for someone here today. And um, so I pray that it will minister to your heart. Hebrews 6, 4 says, It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Some believers are enlightened, which is a term used for salvation. And then some are enlightened and spirit-filled and then taste the good word of God and then taste the powers of the age to come. In other words, this warning is not for those who are merely saved. This warning is not just for those who are saved and spirit-filled. It's not just for those who are saved and spirit-filled and have tasted the good word of God. This warning is for those who are saved and spirit-filled and have tasted the good word of God and have tasted the powers of the world to come. If they fall away from such a high spiritual place in Christ, it is impossible for them to come back to the Lord. The fallen angels cannot return to God, and neither can those who commit apostasy. There is a place of no return, that invisible line that both of them have crossed. Just as adultery, Proverbs tells us, destroys the soul, even more, apostasy destroys the soul to the point that it removes any desire to ever come back to Christ. Apostasy or the sin of falling away from God is very different than falling. If you still desire God to any degree, I guarantee you, you have not fallen away from him to the point of no return. However, we need to ask ourselves, does this Bible passage describe a true believer losing their salvation? Well, for one thing, we don't suddenly lose our salvation like we lose our car keys or we lose our cell phone. A believer can't lose their salvation, but a believer can stop being a believer through the process of falling away from God. The first Christian leader I sat under might have committed apostasy. 
I'm not 100% sure. We usually don't know when one crosses that invisible line of no return. Only God knows. But he had the most remarkable salvation testimony I have ever heard, even more remarkable than Nikki Cruz's. The leader of the ministry I was in when I got saved had been the leader of a gang in the South Bronx in the 1960s. One summer, the police were hot on his trail, and a cousin in Tennessee said, hey, Mike, why don't you come spend the summer with us? He went to Cleveland, Tennessee. He found himself in a huge church service with thousands of people. Mike was saved in that service, caught up into heaven, sat on God the Father's lap, heard the angels singing a song, rejoicing in his salvation. He came out of that experience, born again, spirit-filled, and completely healed of all effects of heroin addiction. His testimony was told worldwide on Christian TV and the unshackled radio dramatization in Chicago. His testimony went all over the world. He bought a farm in Tennessee and built a ministry there like Teen Challenge. And he would come to New York City and preach in the summer. And so many gang members would get saved that didn't have a home to go back to. Mike would bring them home with him to Tennessee for discipleship. Those guys led me to the Lord when I was 17, living in Cleveland, Tennessee. And I remember my first visit to the farm. They said, hey, Charles, listen to this recording of Mike preaching. I think the date was July 6, 1972. And Mike said on that cassette tape recording, the Lord is going to shake the continent of Europe tomorrow from top to bottom. And then they showed me New York Times front page two days later, July 8th. Europe is shaking. Yesterday, an earthquake shook Europe from the top of France all the way down to southern Italy. And I'm like, wow. They said, Mike has a prophetic gift that he sometimes prophesies international events before they happen. Is that tasting the powers of the age to come? Some Bible teachers would say yes. Well, a few years later, Mike stole a very valuable coin collection worth tens of thousands of dollars from a friend of his. And then he committed adultery on his wife. And then he left his wife. And then he left the ministry, moved to Puerto Rico, and joined the mafia. And all of us who knew him were devastated. Some people said, well, if he left the Lord, he must have never really known the Lord. He knew the Lord better, in my opinion, than any of us in this room. And I was terrified. I'd only been saved a couple of years. I said, if a man so anointed and so mightily used of God could fall away, 
what hope do I have of staying faithful to God? And it seemed like Satan was just waiting for me to think those thoughts. All of the sudden, me living in the South Bronx in my early 20s, all the allurements of sin around me seemed to intensify and seemed to become stronger than me. I went to my roommate, a Christian brother, and poured out my heart. I said, man, I'm really concerned. He said, Charles, don't worry about it. If you wander away, the Bible says Jesus, the good shepherd, will come looking for you and bring you back, like Luke 15, 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? What he said didn't sit right with me because I found out he was not living sexually pure. And then I found Matthew's version of the seeking shepherd, which, which says, if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 to go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it. Not when. If. When he finds it in Luke, turns into if he finds it in Matthew. So one day I shut myself in with God. I said, Lord, I'm going to pray and read my Bible, and I'm not leaving this room until, Lord, you speak to me. Please, Lord, give me some scriptures or some comfort or something that I can hold on to. I feel so insecure. If Mike could fall away, anyone potentially can, including me. God, I don't ever want to fall away from you. And the Lord led me to Jeremiah 32, verse 39 and 40. God said, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. I said, that's what I need, God. I need the fear of the Lord in my heart. And soon afterwards, I was listening to the Christian radio Nine o'clock, I get up about nine o'clock every morning because I work the, uh, uh, the night uh, crew of the International House of Pancakes. And so I would work late, get home late. I wake up about nine o'clock to a Messianic, uh, a Jewish Christian ministry. They began their radio program, nine o'clock every morning, Monday through Friday, with a dramatization of God speaking to the nation of Israel from Mount Sinai. Now, as much as I loved Charlton Heston, as much as I loved the movie The Ten Commandments, they got one part of the scriptures very wrong. God did not speak the Ten Commandments just to Moses. 
God spoke in an audible voice from Mount Sinai to the entire nation. About 600,000 men, not including the women and the children. And this dramatization, it started off with the shofar. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods besides me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Verse 13, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. And God spoke to the entire nation, not 10 suggestions, 10 commandments. And as I heard that, I fell on my knees. And I was trembling. Yes, God. Yes, God. I'll obey you. <laughs> I'll fear you, God. I'll obey you, God. But Exodus 20:18 says, if you can go a couple slides. Exodus 20, next one, 18, two more. <clears throat> now, while the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet or the shofar, and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us, and we will hear but let not God speak with us, lest we die. They did not want to hear God's audible voice. It was too terrifying for their liking. But Moses knew it was for their good so that the fear of God would be in their hearts. Because he says in the next verse, Exodus 20, 20, Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. And then later, Deuteronomy 4.10, Moses looking back on that day, he said, the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words. Can you imagine the audible voice of God speaking from Mount Sinai? You turn to your friend. Did you hear that? Yes, I hear. Shh, be quiet. He's still talking. <laughs> Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. These people obviously did not see their need for the fear of the Lord. Probably they felt like, you know, we're just serve God out of love. We're grateful that he's delivered us from bondage. We'll be faithful without this heavy fear of the Lord. But their obedience vanished as soon as their gratitude wore off. And the five warning passages in Hebrews are wrapped around Israel's failure to enter the promised land because of their unbelief and their disobedience. 
But their root problem was they refused to hear God's voice from Mount Sinai. Hebrews 12.25, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. And Hebrews chapter 6 that I started off with, it's, it's not even the strongest warning of the five warning passages. The strongest one is Hebrews 3, 12 to 15. Beware, brethren. He's talking to brethren. He's talking to brothers. And he says, beware. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What does he mean, the deceitfulness of sin? Let me tell you how deceitful sin is. It can harden your heart from the inside. You may be saying, I'm not hurting anybody. I know I'm sinning, but I'm doing it at night when no one sees me. And I'm not hurting anybody. Let me tell you, you are hurting God and you're hurting your conscience. And an evil heart of unbelief. Beware, brothers, lest it be in any of us. An evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Man, I tell you, that is a terrifying warning. Do you know, I mainly serve God out of love. My main motivation of serving Christ is because I love him. But I'm also grateful in the 42 years that I've walked with the Lord, those days and times and seasons where I don't feel any love for anyone, I am grateful that the fear of God kicks in and keeps me from drifting. According to Hebrews, drifting can turn into departing, and departing can become permanent. Hebrews 2, 2, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Hebrews 3, 12, beware, brethren, lest there be an interview, an evil heart of unbelief, in departing. Drifting can turn into departing. And departing can become permanent. As for me, when I discern that I'm starting to drift, I decide I am not going to go down that path because I might not find my way back. Rabbi Zachariah said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And this is what Peter says about it, 2 Peter 2.20. If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, I tell you, there's so many theologians who twist the scriptures to try to make the scriptures fit their theology. 
But the book of Hebrews is not an Armenian commentary, if you know what I mean. The book of Hebrews is filled with warnings to believers. And so is 2 Peter. I've heard so many people twist and say, well, that doesn't really mean what it says. It means what it says. If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. This is exactly what this verse is saying. It is better to never get saved than to get saved and then turn back into the world and live in the world. No wonder Peter said in uh, 1 Peter 2.17, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God. So I'm ready to give you a definition of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is, let me, let me tell you what, what it isn't. It is not just reverence. It is not just respect. Well, I respect God. The fear of the Lord is a deep reverence, knowing that God will one day administer just punishment to those who deserve it, namely, unsaved people who refuse to repent of their sins and believers who apostatize and fully embrace a sinful lifestyle. To me, that's a full definition of the fear of the Lord. What do you mean embrace a sinful lifestyle? Well, let me get an example. Adultery, fornication, they're both forgivable sins, amen? So why did Paul clearly say next, uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. You see, an adulterer, fornicator, is not just one who falls into the sin and comes back and repents. They fall into the sin and then live in it. They become an adulterer. They become a fornicator. They become a drunkard. Maybe the first time or maybe again. They don't, they don't just get drunk every once in a while. They become a drunkard. They don't just fornicate every once in a while. They become a fornicator. Oh, man. Psalm 34, 11. It says, come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord 
is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. You say, Pastor Charles, you're just getting too heavy today. Can we please just go back to the sayings of Jesus? Yes, he, Luke 12, 4. Come on, there it is, amen. <laughs> this is Jesus talking to his disciples. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. And don't let the fly distract you, okay? <laughs> don't look at the fly, look at the verse. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him, capital H, who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. That's Jesus. That's the New Testament. Why would the Lord want us to have this fear? Because until we get into the pearly gates, there is a chance that we could turn away from God. Actually, the book of Hebrews could be called the anatomy of apostasy. It shows you how you can turn away. You begin drifting. Your heart gets hard. You begin departing. Evil heart of unbelief comes into your heart. I believe God is a loving Father. I serve him out of love. But I also know one day God will judge the world and God will judge people. And Peter tells us it's better you never got saved. It will be better for you on that day that you never had gotten saved than you got saved and then you turned back to your sins and went back into the world. But let me say this. The main point of the epistle to the Hebrews is not the bad example of the wilderness generation. The main point of the book of Hebrews is not even the five terrifying warnings written to believers. I believe there are people in hell today who listened to their pastor more than they listened to the word of God. I believe one of the most damnable heresies in the body of Christ is once saved, always saved. I wish it were so, but with 93 warnings in the New Testament about falling away, Jesus said, I won't judge you in the last days. My word will. 
book of Hebrews will be open on the day of judgment. I can just imagine the Lord saying, I warned you. I warned you over and over and over and over. But you were so into uh, the fancy preachers and the uh, tell me good, tell me good, tell me good, tell me good. I don't, I don't need the, that fear of God. That, that stuff's too heavy for me, man. No, Moses, you go talk to God. Tell us what God says. We don't, we don't want to hear the voice of God. My goodness, the voice of God makes us tremble. We don't need to tremble. I've seen too many people that I know knew the Lord walk away from him and not come back. But the main point of Hebrews is not Israel's falling in the desert. It's not the five terrifying warnings in Hebrews. The main point of Hebrews, there is a man in heaven named Jesus Christ who is our merciful and compassionate high priest. And he has gone through every single trial any of us will ever go through. Jesus, the man in heaven, knows exactly how you feel. And it's impossible for him not to be moved when you're going through a hard time. It's impossible for him not to feel what you feel. He has gone through the entire human experience. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. And Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who cannot, a double negative. It's impossible for Jesus not to be touched by what you're going through today. We have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. It's not a throne of judgment now. It will be in the future. But for right now, the throne of God where Jesus sits, where Jesus invites you and I to come to, is a throne of grace. Amen? Do I have that one? Uh, I don't know if I do. Hebrews. <clears throat> Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus has all the strength you need. Jesus has all the grace you need. He has all that you need to be victorious. And he invites us, come, come boldly to the throne. Come daily to the throne. Come as often as you need to. Amen? We'll find mercy. We'll find grace to help in time of need.